Greetings fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 23 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning in to the show today. If you celebrated Christmas this past week, I hope it was wonderful for you and your family, and beyond that, I hope the holidays are treating everybody well overall. If anyone has been having a great holiday, it's been our canine companions, Dee and Dexter. Every year, Santa comes and puts some awesome bones and treats into their stockings, and this year, I think the dogs made out like bandits. They've been filling their bellies with treats, gnawing on some bones, and relaxing on the couch in their holiday sweaters. It's been way too cold for any walks, but I don't think they mind too much. They'll get their exercise in by walking around the campfire today and saying hello the only way they know how, sniffing your hands and legs to death. On today's episode, we're going to check out an older, licensed game here in the Wildlands. While games based on movies, comics, and TV shows are still something we see here and there today, back in the day, they seemed like a dime a dozen. We had games based on things like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, DuckTales, The Simpsons, Back to the Future, and the X-Men just to rattle off a few. Growing up, it was hard not to have a game like one of these in your collection. It was very easy for you as a kid to gravitate towards something familiar that you already liked, and very easy for your parents or relatives to get you a game based on that same philosophy. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? For me, I loved the Ninja Turtles growing up, so I was graced with a decent amount of Ninja Turtles games. Were all of them amazing gaming experiences that just knocked my socks off? Eh, you see, that's the rub. Not every licensed game was a good one, believe it or not. It's really hard to believe, but there are some Simpsons games out there that are just complete and utter disasters. I know, it doesn't make any sense, but that's just the way it was. So this week, by recommendation, we're going to take a look at a game that I think straddles the line of good game and dumpster fire. I think it just depends on which lens you decide to look at it through. That game, of course, is The Lion King. I might catch some crap for this, but I have to be honest with all of you. Not only have I never played this game before, I've never seen the movie growing up. Like I said, I was a huge Turtles fan growing up, and last I checked, Simba is not a Ninja Turtle, so he wasn't getting any love from me. And while I did eventually see the movie, and really do love it, I never bothered with the game itself. As I've gotten older and immersed myself into more retro games, The Lion King seemed to have this reputation of being a difficult game. And when I say difficult, I mean borderline unfair. Which didn't make too much sense to me. Personally, I'm not the best gamer out there, and I argue I'm average at best when it comes to platformers, but I couldn't understand how a game like this, a game made specifically for kids, could be so hard. Then, I decided to give it a go, and it all made sense to me. Now, don't get me wrong, I do think there's something here, or else I wouldn't have bothered to dedicate an episode of the podcast to it. But yeah, this game tested me, and I'm very eager to share my thoughts and experiences with you all today around the campfire. You might even learn a new swear word by the end of it all. That said, I probably should get this disclaimer out of the way really quick. 
While I mark most of the show's episodes as explicit, because I tend to drop an F-bomb here and there, I'm not entirely sure how this episode is going to go. I try not to get too vulgar on the show in general, but there's going to be plenty of F-bomb opportunities coming up, I'm sure. So if you happen to be listening to the show with a little one because you saw the title of the show and thought it would be a fun one to listen to in the car or whatever, be warned. I've only bleeped out swears in one episode of the podcast so far, and this episode won't be one of them. I already spend way too much time editing the audio, so be prepared for a possible verbal assault on your ear holes today. You can blame all of this on my pal Marissa, who suggested this game to me on our Retro Wildlands Facebook page a long while back. I booted up the game for her because she had some fun childhood memories of this game. She failed to mention to me, however, how frustrated I would be throughout most of this journey, and even proceeded to laugh at me as she watched me struggle in the second level. So Marissa, from the bottom of my heart, you can... There you go, parents. You get just this one. (laughs) But seriously, thanks for suggesting the game, Marissa, and I hope I did your game proud today. Now before we get into the episode itself, I like to chat it up with you all a little bit and give you all a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands. I like to use this time to give you all an idea of what it is that I'm working on over here, what games I'm potentially playing for future episodes, read any comments about this week's game from our listeners, or just blab about whatever else I feel like talking about. If none of this sounds interesting to you and you just want to get right into the Lion King talk, No worries, you can skip ahead about 5-7 to minutes and you should be there. I also loaded timestamps in the show description so you can get exactly where you need to go if you don't want to stick around. But please do! I'll be talking about the podcast and games and such and won't take up too much of your time. So we've made it to the end of 2022. I feel like every New Year's everyone's like, This is it. This is gonna be my new year to shine. And I have to admit it, that's kind of me right now. I'm sort of feeling 2023. For the first time in several years, I don't feel like I'm just going through the motions. Ever since COVID-19 descended on us and royally fucked shit up, I feel like for the last couple years, I've just been working my ass off at my full-time adult job and getting very little personal return out of it. It was your classic work too much, feel underappreciated, and repeat sort of scenario. No one knew where the world was going, and I just wanted to put my head down and press forward. Thankfully, my family was safe, and we were all making it, but things were just blah for a very long time. But with enough encouragement from my family and ultimately my wife, I decided to stop talking about my dreams of creating video game content and actually take the leap. I launched the Retro Wildlands on July 17th with only one goal in mind. I wanted to work for myself for a change, put my energy into something that I would not only enjoy, but something that would replenish me. This podcast has been a fantastic endeavor to say the least. We're growing ever so slowly and I've had a chance to network with some pretty fantastic people. One of whom is probably you listening right now. While I'm proud of the fact that I'm a nerd at heart, video games are a huge part of me and I didn't want that passion to just sit idle anymore. I'm pretty happy with what we're building and look forward to seeing what next year brings. Speaking of, what is my vision for the Retro Wildlands in 2023? 
I mainly want to keep focusing on putting out quality episodes that I hope everyone will enjoy. Casual gamers, hardcore gamers, even non-gamers, or the gaming curious. I want to continue to build the Retro Wildlands archive, and right behind that, I want to find some ways to increase our listeners and weekly downloads. I've inserted myself in some pretty cool gaming communities on social media, but I'll be looking for other ways to get our name out there this coming year. I ended up having some business-type cards printed up for the show, too. In 2023, I'd love to check out more gaming conventions and connect with more people. This is all new to me, and half the fun is just putting myself out there and experimenting. At the end of the day, though, this is just a hobby for me. I'm pretty happy with whatever ends up happening, to be completely honest. I've been having a blast so far, and I have no intentions of stopping anytime soon. That said, if you like the show and you want to support it, I encourage you to leave us a good review on your podcasting platform if you can, or just throw us a follow on your service of choice. Good reviews should help us get a little bit more visibility, but please do not go out of your way if this is a hassle. As I'm getting older, I'm 38 now, good god. As I'm getting older, I appreciate how precious our time is more than ever. So while I would appreciate you spreading the word about the show or leaving a good review, you are under no obligation to do so. The fact that you are listening to this right now is more than I could possibly ask for, seriously. So yeah, nothing earth-shattering, I just want to keep pressing forward going into the new year. As far as anything else going on around here, I have a bit more comprehensive of a plan when it comes to the games that I want to cover for the show, which is always subject to change depending on my mood. This past week, though, I have been messing around with a decent amount of games. As far as retro games go, I've been dinking around with Castlevania 3 thanks to the Castlevania collection I got on my Xbox One. I also decided to try my hand at Batman for the original Nintendo. That opening level music is so iconic, and I ended up hearing it somewhere. It finally made me pop it in and give it a try, and so far I'm really digging it. It's another game I'm not really sure why I put off as long as I did, but I would expect a podcast episode on that at some point coming up soon. I also dipped my toes back into NARC for the original Nintendo. Does anyone remember that game? It was a side-scrolling run-and-gun type of game where you take out drug dealers and crime bosses, all while collecting contraband, illegal weapons, and all sorts of stuff like that. I played NARC when I was younger, but I don't remember much about it. I am also digging this one too, so we'll see where this one falls on the show one day. As far as modern games go, I took advantage of another PlayStation sale that I think is still going on right now, and I purchased some games for my PlayStation Vita. I grabbed SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Dig 2 for just a couple bucks. I honestly don't know much about these games, but they've come highly recommended, so I'm eager to check these out. I also grabbed Metal Slug 3 and Retro City Rampage DX. But the one that I've been playing the most is called Xenocrisis. It's a twin-stick shooter along the lines of old-school games like Smash TV and Shock Troopers. I'm really liking the retro art style, and the soundtrack is perfect for a game like this. Very upbeat, and gets you in the mood to kill space aliens, which is something that you're going to be doing a shit ton of in this game. I am liking this one as well so far, even though it can be a little tough. But not unfairly tough, I just need to commit and get good. 
Lastly, I've been playing Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion on my PlayStation 4. I have been extremely happy with this game. I'm about four hours in, and the experience is everything I hoped for so far. I've actually gone so far as to play this game on my PlayStation Vita using the remote play feature so I'm not hogging the TV in my living room. I am loving it that much. I decided I'm going to get the Platinum Trophy for this game, so I'll be plugging away at it pretty steadily when I have the time. I love all the little quality of life improvements and some of the smaller gameplay additions that further enhance this game. Other than some of the voice acting, which I kind of find a little so-so here and there, I've fallen in love with this game all over again. I'm very curious if you've played it, or even played the original on the PlayStation Portable. Let me know over on our social media platforms if you have and what your thoughts are. And in case you're new to the podcast, I covered Crisis Core on episode 20 of the show if you wanted to go back and give that a listen. And real quick, a very fast social media plug. You can find the Retro Wildlands over on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you search at Retro Wildlands. Follow us over there if you want to keep up with the show, but I also throw out some gaming goodness that'll spice up your timelines and your feeds. On the weekends, I'll reveal what the next week's episode is going to be if you don't want to wait, and I'll give listeners the ability to write into the show and sound off about the game that we'll be covering, share a memory, ask a question, pick my brain, whatever. I'll read and respond to any that I get near the end of that episode's intro. So if that sounds like anything that you're into, head on over to our socials and throw us a follow. Alright, I think I've gone on long enough. It's time for me to shut my yap and start getting to the reason that you're all here. It's time to talk about The Lion King. Robbie DLC tweeted at us over on the old Twitter about The Lion King and said, Oh boy, I need to dig deep for these memories. Definitely remember playing this for the Genesis and Game Gear. I gotta say, I had no idea this game was on the Game Gear, but I did see gameplay of it on the Genesis, and I have to say, as a Nintendo kid, I think it might be a slightly better version than the Super Nintendo. It looks and sounds fantastic. That's really cool that you played this game back in the day, Robbie, so I hope I did your game some justice and I didn't crap on it too bad. Thanks for writing in, and all the way from England, no less, my friend. That is awesome. The Lion King video game was released in 1994, and it follows the general plot of the Disney movie. We take control of Simba, the young lion who is destined to become king of the Pride Lands one day. However, little does he know that his uncle Scar has other plans. After some horrific events, Scar usurps the throne and Simba leaves the Pride Lands in exile. Will Simba be able to retake the throne from Scar and see himself as the true king? Or will Simba say fuck it and just hang out in the woods singing Hakuna Matata all day? That, my friends, is going to be completely up to us. It's time we take our rightful place on the throne, Wildlanders. It's time for us to complete the Circle of Life.
I've probably mentioned it once or twice in previous episodes, but I'm an only child. And while I consider some of my closest friends my brothers, I don't have those sibling-type memories that I'm sure a lot of you have. It was like my parents got done having me and were just so floored by how awesome of a kid I was that they said, Nah, we don't need to make another one. This one turned out just right. We all know that's a load of shit, but hey, sounds cool to me when I say it. But either way, I bring that up because when I think back to some of the memories that I had as a kid, watching Disney movies with my family was not one of them. While I did a lot with my parents growing up, I actually spent most of my time by myself, mainly because I preferred it that way. So unlike most kids who have memories of watching The Little Mermaid or Aladdin over and over again on VHS tapes or whatever with their families and siblings, I practically had none of that. I was talking about it with my wife last week and it didn't really dawn on me until that moment. And I know, I can practically hear the collective gasps from all of you. It's true. I still haven't seen some of the Disney classics like the OG Cinderella, 101 Dalmatians, or even The Little Mermaid. Now granted, I'm cleaning up a lot of that now that I have a couple of stepkids, but there was one movie that I do remember. I didn't watch it right away when it came out, but I did eventually see it. It was a movie about a lion cub named Simba who was destined to become king of the Pride Lands until his uncle Scar made a move for the throne and Simba was cast out of the Pride Lands and he fled into exile. But one day, Simba would be called back to the Pride Lands to fulfill his destiny as king and continue the circle of life. That movie, of course, was The Lion King. I don't remember exactly when I watched this movie for the first time, but I argue it's one of those movies that you don't forget. I mean, we all know the story of The Lion King, right? Even if we somehow haven't seen the movie. It was a tale of action, adventure, tragedy, coming of age, and it had a singing meerkat and a warthog. What is not to love? Now back in the day, licensed video games around movies and other properties were pretty common. Disney had released a game based on their film Aladdin right at the end of 1993, and it was met with some pretty decent commercial success. It only made sense to continue on that bandwagon, and The Lion King seemed like the next best film to bring to our home gaming consoles. I have no doubt that if my household were more into Disney movies when I was growing up, we would have had a copy of Aladdin or even The Lion King in our libraries. I remember kids telling me about The Lion King at school every now and then, how the game looked just like the movie and that it was so much fun to play. It even had music from the movie and some of the characters even talked. I know, that's nothing groundbreaking now, but back then, come on. I couldn't tell you when it was, but I remember playing The Lion King on the Super Nintendo one time. And all I remember from that experience was the frustration that I felt. Now, most games back in the day weren't all that easy or anything back then, but The Lion King stuck with me for its difficulty, which baffled me because I thought pretty highly of myself as a gamer back then. Was I being bested by a kid's game? Ah, whatever. I had other games to play. I quickly forgot about this game until my friend Marissa brought up The Lion King on our Retro Wildlands Facebook page when I asked everyone if they had a game that they thought I should play and cover on the show. She said, and I quote, The Lion King game from the 90s, blah ha ha. 
I was always too scared of the hyenas to advance to level two. Blah ha ha ha. That's one ba and four ha's. <laughs> so when she mentioned it, I put it on the list. I saw it as sort of a challenge, too. Who couldn't get past the second level of a video game? I'm much older and wiser now. I was sure I could give this game another run and try to see if the game was worth playing. So what's the verdict? Is The Lion King a fun-filled game of Disney magic and wonder? Well, to answer that question, we first need to understand what it is that we're working with. So, what is this game? The Lion King video game is a game that fairly accurately follows the events of the Disney movie released back in 1994. It's a side-scrolling platformer where you take control of Simba, the lion cub who is destined to become king of the Pride Lands. You'll move through the events of the movie in order and play as Simba as a cub, and then halfway through the game you'll play as Simba once he grows into an adult. The goal of the game is the same as the movie. Simba needs to return to the Pride Lands and take his place as king by defeating the evil Scar in the process. Now, really quick, I sort of pride myself in this podcast on avoiding spoilers, or at least giving you ample warning about spoilers when it comes to story and gameplay. But this is the Lion King that we're talking about. If you haven't seen it, I have to imagine you know the events of the movie by now. And if you don't, well, I'm going to spoil a few on the show today, so this is your warning. I guess if for some reason you decided to listen to this episode with your kid who hasn't seen the movie, maybe listen to another episode until your little one has partaken in the movie. So with that, let's get back to it. Alright, first things first. Let's talk about the game's presentation. The Lion King video game is absolutely gorgeous. Say what you will about Disney and animated movies in general, but the movie looked fantastic back in the day, and the video game adaptation looks just like it. The game itself was released on a couple different consoles, but I played through it on the Super Nintendo. From what I found online, the graphical presentation looks fantastic on pretty much any system you play this game on. The first thing you'll notice are the levels and the backgrounds. They look like they're ripped right out of the movie. Things are detailed, color palettes are vibrant and eye-catching, and the far-off details in a level are pretty stunning, to say the least. The very first level of the game has you in the Pride Lands themselves. The foreground has lush green grass, and you're mainly going to be traversing mountainous rocks. The video game features some parallax scrolling, meaning the background moves a bit slower than the foreground to simulate the sheer distance away that the background is. In between holes in the mountainous terrain, you can see Pride Rock itself in the background in some of these spots. That's the big rock formation where Baby Simba is being held up for all of the Pride Lands to see in the very beginning of the movie, if you remember. When I popped the game in this past week, there were several moments that I would catch myself just looking at the background in awe. I mean, it really is that well done for a game this old. Aside from the background elements, the character sprites also look like they're ripped right out of the movie. Simba as a cub and Simba as an adult look completely movie accurate, down to the last hair on his mane. What's more, his movement animations are so fluid and really well done. There's multiple frames of movement that really give Simba a look and feel as if he were lifted right off the big screen. When he runs across the screen, he looks fantastic 
Even when you grab onto a ledge and pull yourself up, the smoothness of the animation during this moment is pretty breathtaking. It's just like he did in the movie and really adds to the overall immersion. Seriously, if you've not played this game or don't remember it, go online and check out some of the gameplay. I could only imagine the time and effort that went into the presentation. As I was researching the game itself before diving in, I did learn that this game was being developed alongside the movie, and that some of the animators that worked on the film helped to collaborate with the game, so it makes a lot of sense putting that into perspective. Oh, and you know what else looks fantastic in this game? Simba's idle animations. When you don't move young Simba on screen for a bit, a butterfly will come on screen and Simba will try to catch it in his paws. He jumps up and he tries to catch it in his paws and the look on his face is just adorable. It reminds me of my dog Dee Dee. Just, oh, so sweet. Ahem. Apologies there. Got sidetracked a little bit by the cuteness. Enemies you come across are animated pretty well too. There's a couple baddies that you'll come across that weren't featured in the film, like cheetahs and bats, but even they are animated with such extreme care and precision. The hyenas you come across look like they do in the movies, and even Scar looks great when you see them. There's some bonus stages that you come across that feature Timon and Pumbaa, and they look fantastic too. Timon even has on his little grass skirt in one of the bonus stages if you look hard enough. As far as the game's music goes, it's pretty great too. Some of the music from the movie makes it to the game and sounds really good. One of my favorites is Hakuna Matata, which means no worries, in case you didn't know. It was genuinely fun playing through some of this game and listening to the tunes from the movie. This, combined with the amazing visuals, really completed the overall presentation and made this game just a blast to look at and really fun to listen to. So in summary, I don't think there's much more I can say about the presentation. Everything looks stunning and The Lion King is probably the best looking Disney game ever made. I mean that, it is beautiful. And the music? Just as beautiful. But does the beauty on the outside translate to the beauty on the inside of this video game? How's the gameplay, you might be wondering? Well, let me describe it like this. You ever find that guy or gal that's like a 10 out of 10 on the outside? Beautiful eyes, infectious smile, gorgeous body. Then you get to know that person and you find out that they're just a pretty shitty human being underneath it all? Well, that's pretty much how I could describe the gameplay in The Lion King. Okay, that might have come off a little harsh, but I don't want to sugarcoat anything. The gameplay in this game is pretty difficult and borderline anger-inducing. The gameplay experience is tedious, repetitive, and not really all that innovative. If you're new to video games or you're just not that good at them, this game will not take it easy on you. It'll spit on your shoes and slap you across the face. Guaranteed, you will not make it past the second level, assuming you even make it that far. And as far as experienced gamers go, there are just too many things that are just going to irritate and annoy the hell out of you. An experienced gamer may get further into the game, but it's not going to be due to your skill as a gamer. It'll be due to your ability to commit a level to memory and just keep pressing on, even when some of the elements of randomness find a way to take you out. The first level is probably the only straightforward level that you're going to play. 
It's your standard platforming level where you're trying to get from point A to point B, and you might find some secrets here or there as you go. But as soon as you get to level 2, the kid gloves are off and they stay off. So, we're going to take a journey through the first level of the game to get a feel for how the game works. But before we do that, let's cover some of the gameplay basics. First up, like most games of the time, you have a limited number of lives, and when those run out, a limited number of continues you can use to keep going. You can adjust how many lives and continues you start off with by toggling the game's difficulty in the options screen, but don't let those options fool you. They don't actually make the game any easier, they just give you more chances to complete it. If I were you, play the game on the easiest difficulty to max out how many lives you start with. The game itself is still hard as balls. Now, as you move through a level, you can find more lives and continues scattered about or hidden in secret areas, and you'll want to do anything that you can to grab them. However, now that I say that, getting some of them might actually be more dangerous than you realize. There was one extra life that I actually spent three lives trying to get, so you'll want to bear a little of that in mind. Moving Simba around on screen is easy enough. Pressing a direction on the directional pad will move Simba in that direction, mainly left and right. Simba can jump and has some pretty decent jump height. He can also grab onto ledges of some platforms if he's close enough to them. From here, you can climb up or drop back down. If the platform he's hanging from is a solid wall where Simba's back feet can touch, he can catapult himself off of it and in the opposite direction. This will happen a lot as you traverse the terrain and you'll find areas where you'll have to hop back and forth while climbing up. The instruction manual calls this climbing a chimney formation, if that helps visualize what I'm trying to say. There may also be little parts of the level that Simba can hang on to but not pull himself up on. These are little things like small outcroppings, small rocks sticking out of the background, bones, etc. What Simba will do here is swing back and forth automatically. You need to press the jump button when Simba is moving in the direction that you want him to go, and your timing needs to be pretty spot on. Guaranteed, you're going to jump in a direction that you don't mean to, but we'll get into how frustrating this game mechanic is a little later. One more ability Simba has is the ability to roar. Roaring is actually a pretty important skill in this game. Roaring close to an enemy will usually stun it for a moment. Some enemies, like the porcupine-looking enemies in the first stage, need to be stunned before Simba can pounce on them and take them out. Otherwise, he'll take damage from the porcupine's pokey bits. On the top left-hand side of the screen, there's a meter that's slowly filling up as you go. This is your roar meter, and it's an indicator as to how mighty a roar Simba will belch out when you press the right button. When it's fully charged, Simba's roar can actually cause damage to some enemies and may even kill them outright. Once he roars, you'll have to wait for his meter to charge back up again before you can unleash another roar. It doesn't have to be fully charged, there just has to be something in the meter for you to initiate the roar. Now, if you take damage, Simba's roar meter will empty immediately, and Simba won't be able to roar for a hot minute. He can still do it, but nothing is going to happen since the meter is empty. 
Aside from stunning and damaging enemies, the roar can be used to solve a few puzzles as you go too. Now, some maneuvers you can pull off are different depending on if you're young Simba or adult Simba. Young Simba can pounce on enemies just by jumping on top of them Super Mario style. Simba also has the ability to roll on the ground, sort of like Sonic the Hedgehog can. When running, press down diagonally on the D-pad and he'll start to roll and do damage to just about anything he runs into. And there are some hidden areas of the level that you can only access by having Simba roll like this, so keep that in mind. When you grow up and you get to play as adult Simba, you'll lose the ability to roll around, but you'll gain the ability to directly attack enemies with your claws, and you gain access to attacks like mauling and throwing enemies. You really do get to act like the lion that you are, and it's pretty awesome. Slashing not only deals damage to enemies that you come across, it's a skill that you'll need to deploy to clear away some obstacles like heavy overgrowth or loose rocks. The mulling and throwing are pretty useful on bigger enemies like hyenas, and if you want to eventually beat the game, do not forget that you can throw. This will be needed later. So those are the tools in our lion toolkit. Before we embark on our adventure, I wanted to talk about the various items and power-ups we're going to come across as we go. We're going to need to pull out the instruction manual for this section because there's a decent amount of things to find, and the game does not make it overly obvious what everything does. I don't want to spend too much time here, so let's blow through this section. The many items you find are generally bugs that you come across. They aren't crawling around the ground, but they're actually suspended in the air in typical video game power-up fashion. There's a tan-looking beetle that'll restore some of Simba's health, and another type of tan beetle with a white pattern on it that will restore all of Simba's health. These bugs are nice, and you'll want to grab them anytime you see them, but there are two other types of bugs that you really want to be on the lookout for, and these more than likely will require you to go a little bit out of your way to get your hands on them. The first of these rare bugs is the African Red Bug. As the name implies, it's bright red. If you can snag one of these, it will increase Simba's overall health, basically making your health bar on the top right-hand side of the screen a lot longer, so you'll be able to take more damage before losing a life. These are extremely useful, and you'll want to prioritize these if you can. Now, these won't save you from any sort of instant death attack or trap that you may come across, so bear that in mind. The other rare bug that you want to look out for is the Blue Beetle. Grabbing one of these will increase Simba's roar. Now, that's all the instruction manual says on these. Oddly enough, I did not manage to pick up a single one of these bugs when I played through the game. I don't know if it makes your roar more powerful, or if it increases the length of your roar meter, but that's what the instruction manual says. How is it that I didn't find one of these power-ups, you might be wondering? Oh, ho, 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 dear listener, we'll get to some of that here soon. Let's just say that I had other things on my mind as I was making my way through this game, namely trying to stay alive and not lose my shit. There's other bugs that are in the environment as well and will actually cause Simba harm if you grab them. A spider, dragonfly, and a bombardier beetle will do damage to Simba if he grabs them by accident. Playing the game, I didn't read the manual first, so I found all this out the hard way. Sometimes these bad bugs will surround areas that you need to get to and require precision platforming to avoid, 
or they might be surrounding a power-up that you want to get, which will force you to find another way to grab it. An interesting addition, but one of little consequence, since I felt these sort of bugs weren't all that common. Throughout the level, there are extra lives and extra continues that you can grab as you go. When you lose a life in the middle of a level, you're sent all the way back to the very beginning, unless you can find a milestone. These milestone markers look almost like a Simba medallion, and all you need to do is touch them and they'll be activated. Do your best to find and touch these milestones because you'll be dying a lot in this game, and no one wants to have to start from the very beginning of a stage every single time. The frequency at which I saw these milestones seemed to vary from stage to stage, but it's possible I just flat out missed some as I went. Alright, and with that, I think that's pretty much everything the game has to offer when it comes to its presentation, how it controls, and we have a basic understanding of how the game itself works. It's time to dive in and play a level or two, and get a feel for the gameplay experience. Alright, let's get this over with, shall we? So let's set the scene as we boot the game up. Allow me to quote the instruction manual in my best James Earl Jones voice, which will most likely be run through an audio filter post-production. Ahem. Sunrise awakens the animals of Africa to gather at the foot of Pride Rock, paying homage to the newborn prince Simba, son of Mufasa, the Lion King. The Circle of Life, the Way of the Pride Lands, and all who dwell here tells of how things are connected, how all animals depend upon one another for survival, and how birth itself is just the beginning of the circle. Simba's journey takes a different route, however, when his evil uncle Scar starts a wildebeest stampede. The Lion King Mufasa is killed, and young Simba leaves to exile, thinking that it was all his fault. Meanwhile, Scar and his hyenas take over the Pride Lands and lead it to ruin. Guide Simba as he explores his future kingdom, overcome the wicked hyenas in the elephant graveyard, experience real power as Simba grows into an adult lion. Only then will Simba be ready to challenge his ruthless Uncle Scar and take his rightful place in the circle of life. That's gotta get you pumped, right? The premise behind the movie has always been a pretty solid coming-of-age tale. The video game pretty faithfully follows the flow of the movie, like I'm sure I've mentioned. I'm sure any kid who saw this game growing up after having watched the movie would have been clamoring to get their hands on this game. So let's get into it. When we start the game, we're met with a pretty breathtaking backdrop of Rafiki holding baby Simba for all to see on top of Pride Rock. The sun is shining bright and it looks gorgeous. We have the choice to just jump right into the game or you could mess around with some of the game's options. I recommend jumping in here and lowering the difficulty of the game if it's your first time playing, but if you're a glutton for punishment, by all means, just dive right in. Once we start the game, Timon, as he appears in the movie, pops on screen to announce the beginning of the game. It starts. The game begins and we're in the first level, the Pride Lands. Simba is standing there proud and confident as we take in our surroundings. 
The ground is covered in lush greenery, rocks are scattered here and there for us to climb on, and if we look far into the background, we can see Pride Rock in the distance. The music playing is pretty carefree and it complements the stage pretty well. Alright, let's get cracking, folks. We press right on the D-pad and move Simba to the right. Before long, we come across our first cliff ledge. On top of it is a beetle power-up with a white pattern on it. From what we've learned, this will restore Simba's health completely. Not entirely sure why a full health power-up is the very first thing that we come across, but eh, whatever. We jump and land on top of the platform and collect the beetle. Cool. Ah, Simba sounds so cute, doesn't he? The voices that we'll hear in the game are pretty damn clear given how old this game is and the hardware that it's playing on. After grabbing the useless beetle, we hop back down and spot our first enemy. We almost miss it because it blends in with the green background so well. It's a chameleon. We have Simba jump up and land on top of it and with a poof, the chameleon is gone. Alright, make a note. Pouncing on enemies is a surefire way to lay waste to any opposition. As we continue moving forward, we come across another ground-dwelling enemy. It looks like a little porcupine. Now if you're playing this section for the very first time and you're anything like me, you'll just assume jumping on it will take care of it. And that's probably what a young Simba would actually do, right? So we square it up, jump up on it, and land right on top of the porcupine. But oh no! It causes us damage! Ow. The porcupine continues moving along, and I'm sure it gave us the middle finger somewhere during that exchange. We lose some of our health in the process, and this is where I think to myself, man, I wish I wouldn't have grabbed that health power up back there. But no time to dwell on it. This porcupine needs to be dealt with. No one makes a fool out of the future king of the Pride Lands. We move closer to the creature. At this point, our roar meter just finished filling back up. Digging deep and channeling the very power and memory of all the kings that have come before him, we press the roar button on our controller and have Simba unleash his mightiest roar upon his foe! <laughs> ah, he sounds like a little kitty because he's still a cub. Ah, it's just so cute. But it is enough, apparently. The porcupine shits its pants and falls onto its backside. Now we can have Simba pounce, and that does the trick. The porcupine goes poof, and we're clear to keep moving. At this point, we're forced to start climbing up the side of the cliff. Nothing too hard, just a well-timed jump and we're up. Now from here, we can no longer move forward. The game has us moving back to the left. We jump a gap in the floor, and we start moving left. We spot another chameleon and end him swiftly with a pounce, and further up, another porcupine stands in our way. Taking what we've learned, we let out a roar and turn him over. Ah, that is just so fucking cute. Just like a kitty. God damn. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm losing focus. After pouncing on the porcupine and taking him out, we get to the end of the cliff and we have to turn back to the right to keep climbing up. Here, we find a new enemy to wail on. It's a little blue beetle crawling on the ground and it almost looks like a dung beetle. We pounce on it and it doesn't go poof like we expect. Instead, it starts buzzing around all frantic-like. What in the world? And then it explodes! 
Luckily, we were far enough away that nothing happened, but we're going to need to be on our guard here. The rest of the level is pretty much like this. It's a fairly simple-ish platforming experience. Now, it's fairly obvious where you need to go, but if you keep an eye out for any ledges that look out of place, or areas you might be able to have symbol roll through or under, you'll be able to find power-ups and even an extra life hidden somewhere in the level. I will say, while the backgrounds look incredible, it was hard to navigate around sometimes. Things I would expect to be able to jump on or grab onto, I didn't. And things I didn't think I could interact with, I could. You'll just have to play around. But all in all, the first level is a pretty good introductory level to get you comfortable. And I have to say, I was feeling pretty good at this point. When you get to the end of the level, you're met with your first boss. A lowly hyena faces off with Simba, and it's a pretty easy battle if you just take your time. The hyena will try to jump on you, but if you can evade it a couple of times, it'll have to stop and catch its breath. This is your time to pounce. After two successful pounces, the hyena goes down and the screen fades to black. Alright, one stage down. After this, we're met with yet another visual feast for the eyes, and we see Mufasa and Simba up on Pride Rock. Mufasa speaks to Simba just like he did in the movie. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. That is so cool. I just love how it sounds. Next up, instead of the next level, we're tossed into what looks like a bonus stage. Bug Toss is splayed across the top of the screen, and we can see Pumbaa on the ground near the bottom of the screen. Cool! You got that right, Simba. Back at the top of the screen, we can see Timon running back and forth. Awesome! The time it took me to register all of this for the very first time when I saw it was probably about a solid three seconds. Three seconds to establish where Timon and Pumbaa were and to get my bearings. Just as those three seconds were up, Timon started dropping bugs down towards Pumbaa. In an instant, I realized what I needed to make happen here. My eyes saw the bugs falling down, and they started to get a signal to my brain to tell my fingers to move Pumbaa towards the falling bugs. In the time it took my eyes to send the signal, for my brain to receive it, and then the signal to be received by my fingers, one of the bugs hit the ground, the music stopped, and that was it. Zero bugs caught flashed on screen. Uh, okay? That was a little jarring, but whatever, I guess. Before my brain had any further chance to process what actually happened, we're tossed into the next stage. Can't Wait to Be King is displayed at the top of the screen just as the music kicks in. Alright, another good music rendition on offer. It was at this point I actually turned up my volume and started nodding my head to the tunes. I was actually getting into this, and you know what? I couldn't wait to be king either. Alright, let's check out this stage while we're at it. We move to the right and come across a rhino. He's more so part of the background, but as soon as we make our way to its face, it launches Simba straight up. A monkey hanging in a tree grabs us, tosses us to another monkey, and drops us on top of a giraffe's face. The giraffe's face is kind of like a platform, so we use it to continue to the right. More giraffes are lined up, and I'm sure they don't mind us hopping along. Ah, this is so much fun. 
And I just can't wait to be king. Yeah, yeah, this is fun. Eventually we land on solid ground where we find another rhino hanging out on the ground and we can see several monkeys hanging in the trees. Well, we know the drill. We jump on the rhino's horn and we fling ourselves upwards. A kind and generous monkey grabs us and he tosses us to another monkey. And then to another! Woohoo! We are going so fast! Eventually though, the last monkey deposits us right back where we started. What the hell? Upon further examination, we see that two of the monkeys are a bright pink and stand out against the others. Platforming into the trees and next to the monkeys, we actually have to roar at them, which will cause them to change the direction that they're facing. So now, when we launch ourselves up with the rhino, the pink monkeys will throw us in a new direction. It's kind of like switching the directions on a section of railroad track. It didn't take me too terribly long to figure this one out, and I was able to move on to the next section of the level after some trial and error. But boy did it halt the pacing of the game for me. I stopped humming the music and tapping my feet at this point. No matter, we're still moving along, right? <laughs> I know some of you that have played this game before know exactly what's coming up next and are probably either grinning like an idiot recalling the memory, or you're cringing inside. Either way, it's time to talk about it. The Ostrich Ride. Once we get the monkeys to let us advance, we're flung over top a giraffe and we land on an ostrich. Right away, we are moving pretty fast from left to right. After a few seconds, an arrow appears on screen pointing up. I wasn't really sure what to do here, so I tried to press my directional pad up. Huh, that didn't seem to do anything. But before I could register what it all meant, the ostrich came to a stop and Simba seemingly fell off the ostrich and hit the ground. The screen went black and I had lost a life. We're treated to an animation where Simba looks dizzy and then he hits the ground. What in the actual fuck? How did I die? Whatever, we'll try again. When we get control of Simba back, we find that we're back at the beginning of the stage and we have to jump across the giraffes again and solve the monkey puzzle again. No big deal, I guess. Little annoying, but whatever. When we're back on the ostrich, I start hitting buttons. I figured out that we can jump while we're on the ostrich, so I wondered if that's what the arrow meant, that we had to jump over something. Right when the arrow came on screen, I jumped. I noticed a pink animal of some sort was on the ground, and I had vaulted right over top of it. Okay, got it. Filed away for next time. As we continued, a down arrow appeared. I pressed down on the D-pad and discovered that I can duck while I was riding along. I held it, and Simba sailed underneath a bird's nest in a tree. Okay, the picture is becoming quite clear. This is a reflex challenge. I might be pushing 40 years old, but I like to think that my reflexes are somewhat decent. Another up arrow and I hop over another animal. Doing good so far. Then all of a sudden we see not one, but two arrows pointing up. The hell is this? We jump, but Simba is clotheslined by a bird's nest that's a little higher up in the tree. We lose another life. How the fuck are we supposed to get past that? We can only jump so high. Whatever, it's back to the start for us. I kept trying this section over and over and over again. I just couldn't figure out what the hell I was supposed to do. I tried not jumping so high, I tried jumping as high as I could, 
and I tried jumping right between the two nests. Nothing. Nothing at all. What the fuck? I had to walk away at this point. Not only was I getting frustrated that I kept dying, but I had to repeatedly play the first part of the stage over and over to get to this ostrich part. I just didn't get it. I know I'm not the most skilled gamer out there, but this didn't make any sense. What was happening? <sighs> Ultimately, what I needed to do was jump, then press jump again so that Simba would jump off the ostrich and higher than the highest bird's nest. If we did it right, the ostrich would sail in between the two bird's nests, Simba would fly over all of them, and they would land right back on the ground together and we would continue on. To pull this off, your timing has to be perfect, almost down to the millisecond. Okay, maybe not that precise, but it sure as hell felt like it. Finally, though, I made it through that section. Then we had to dodge more obstacles, and we didn't have the luxury of any on-screen prompts to tell us when we needed to jump or duck. Guess how many times I died in this section? I will give you a hint. It's the same number of times I thought about rubbing my face on a cheese grater. And yes, every time I died, I was right back to the beginning of the stage. And that doesn't count the times I ran through all my continues and had to start the game over from the beginning! Yeah! I can't imagine being a kid back in the 90s playing this game. How do you not grow up and want to live a life of crime after getting stuck on level 2 of a licensed video game? Seriously. Alright, alright, let's all just calm down a bit here and take a breath. Woosah. Okay. Eventually, we make it past Satan's ostrich ride and find ourselves on another plot of solid land. There's a milestone marker that we can collect right as we drop into the area, so if we die, we'll start here instead of the beginning of the level. Whew, finally some relief. Let's talk a little bit more about what's up ahead so I can touch on a couple more platforming aspects of the game. It can only be downhill from here, right? Okay, let's shake it off. Let's turn some of the tunes back on. Alright, let's go. Moving forward, we come across a bunch of hippos animated in that classic Disney style, and several of them are standing on each other. It's like a hippo tower, with some hippos showing us their backsides with their tails wagging, and some of them showing us their faces. When we jump with Simba, he'll be able to grab onto the hippo tails and use them as a way to swing from one to the other. So the premise here is pretty obvious. Grab a tail, swing to the next one, repeat, and we're good. The hippos themselves are standing in water and we don't want to fall into it, so we gotta make sure that we're timing our jumps just right. Okay, let's do this. We have Simba jump, position him right in the middle of the tail, and... Whoops. We fell into the water and lose a life. That sucks, but good thing we hit that milestone. We start back up right before we make the jump and try again. We line up Simba and somehow manage to grab the tail this time. Simba will automatically swing back and forth, and depending on where he is during the swing, that'll dictate what direction he goes when we press the jump button again. Seems like a simple enough premise. We wait for Simba to swing forward and then we press the jump button. He launches forward and we line him up with the next hippo tail. We're 99% sure it's the same location as the last time, but... Damn it! We fell in the water again! 
Okay, let's try this again. All right, made it to hippo tail number one. We're swinging, we're swinging, and now. All right, made it to hippo tail number two. Now nice and easy. We press our jump button right as the tail starts to swing forward, but apparently it was too soon. We actually fly backwards. We try to line Simba up with another hippo tail, but we fall into the water again and we lose our last life. Damn it! We burn through a continue and once we do, we find ourselves at the beginning of the stage, where we have to go through the entire stage from the very beginning. Gah, son of a bitch! How can a game that is as beautiful and as charming as this bring out the beast in me? <sighs> whatever, whatever, we are done. Well, we're done with at least me describing the levels to you. We are moving on. Even just talking about this is enough to get my heart rate up. Just, god damn this level. I know there's some of you out there that completely get me on this. So much time invested to get absolutely nowhere. It would be one thing if it was all skill and we just needed to get good, but lining Simba up in order to make sure he lands on the exact pixel he needs to land on in order to grab a ledge or a swinging tail, there's no skill in that. I'm gonna say it was bad game design. It was almost as if it was intentionally designed this way, to make you fail. Wouldn't it be funny if that were true? Well, believe it or not, friends, that is actually 100% true. During the time I took to research the game, I found out this game was intentionally made difficult. <gasps> I know, I couldn't believe it either. According to my research, Westwood Studios was instructed by Disney to increase the game's difficulty to make it near impossible for someone to beat the game in the typical amount of time a person would have the game in their possession on a rental. Lewis Castle, co-founder of Westwood, was quoted saying, The reason we had to do it was because the rental market was that if people got a certain distance in the game, metrics from Disney said they wouldn't buy the game. End quote. Those greasy motherfuckers intentionally made this game hard so that parents would opt to buy it instead of having their kids rent it over and over again. I mean, from a business standpoint, I get it. But, but still, to play with my emotions like that? Seriously, I really thought it was me that I was just bad at this game. But it turns out that the game was never on my side from the start. Actually, the more I think about it, it's sort of a relief now to think about it. It's not me. It's the game. <laughs> uh, so what does it all mean? For as hard as this game is, is it a bad game? I actually argue no, it is not. It really does have its problems, though. At its core, the platforming aspect of the game is not inherently fun. Simba moves really fast, which is awesome to see visually, but it makes lining things up very difficult. Like I mentioned when talking about the hippo tails, it's hard for the player to know exactly where to line up Simba in order to interact with something. It's a lot of trial and error, and even if you know where you need to be, you can't be a pixel off in one direction or another. As the game gets harder, this shortfall becomes even more evident. 
I've talked to several gamers about this game over the last week on social media and whatnot, and most of them have actually not completed this game. More than that, most of them never made it far enough to get to the levels where you're playing as an adult Simba, and that's a real shame. Playing as adult Simba really breathes new life into this whole experience. It's not any easier, I don't think, but you gain the ability to attack your enemies with Simba's claws, and you just feel bigger and badder. If you're one of those gamers who hasn't made it far enough to partake in any of the adult Simba levels, I really think you should give the game another chance. Really, every level in this game can be beaten. They're just going to require you to put the time and the work in. The more you play the first level, you'll start to master it. Even the dreaded second level. I can almost go through that level now flawlessly. Almost. You just have to commit. Which reminds me of a point I wanted to make about the levels. Each level brings something new to the table, something new for you to master. And while that might sound daunting, I think it's actually a really good thing. Level 1 is a fairly straightforward platforming challenge that gives you the tools you need to learn the ropes. Level 2, while frustrating as all hell, contains lots of precise button presses, high-speed moments, and precision platforming. Level 4 is a whole new thing altogether. This level has Simba running from the Wildebeest Stampede, but instead of having you run from left to right, you're actually running towards the screen and the Wildebeest are coming up from behind you. You have to move left or right to dodge them and try not to get trampled by them. Rocks and other obstacles will be put in your path too, so you have to move out of the way, or you can even jump over them if you can time it just right. This level looks amazing for what it is, even if judging the distance of the incoming wildebeest is a bit hard at times. It really gives you the sense of being stuck in a high-walled valley, and all you can do is run your little ass off. I don't remember what numbered stage it was, but the Hakuna Matata level is a fairly puzzle-centric one if I had to give it a category. There's a decent number of paths to take that are covered in water, and Simba will slide down these paths in such a way where you won't have control of him. Then there's this waterfall you actually have to climb up. The goal is to get to the top of the screen to progress, and to do that, you have to have Simba jump onto logs that are falling down with the water. Each log is traveling at varying speeds, and you have to make Simba jump from one log to another without falling off into the water below or allowing your log to make it all the way down and hit the water as well. It sounds easy enough, and maybe it is, but I spent literally five or so minutes having Simba jump from log to log, trying my absolute best to climb this waterfall, only to discover I hadn't actually gained any ground. Like, seriously, I hadn't gone anywhere. And this isn't counting the countless times I would slip and fall to a watery death. But for what it was, it was sort of fun. It was definitely different. When I eventually conquered the waterfall and made it to the top, I genuinely felt good. One more standout level I thought was interesting was the Be Prepared level. It's the one where you're in the underground lava caves. I could be wrong, but I thought I saw somewhere that this area was supposed to actually be in the movie itself, but it was removed for some reason. If anyone could let me know if I'm on the right track or way off my rocker, I'd appreciate it. Anyway, not only is this area really unique when it comes to the presentation, it's another level with a unique premise to master. In the lava caves, 
you generally have to learn to stay mobile a lot more than you have been up to this point. Hyenas and cheetahs are roaming around, but you'll have drops of lava falling from the ceiling, so you can't stay still for too long. This all culminates towards the end of the level where you have to make sure not to get hit by falling rocks by standing on top of these lava geysers. But you can't stay still on top of these geysers for too long, or else lava will shoot out up from underneath you. It all sounds very chaotic, and it really is. Of all the levels to get good at, this was a hard one for me, but truth be told, I had a decent gameplay experience here. So let's talk about the final level of the game before we wrap it all up. I just want to complain just a little while longer before wrapping up the whole experience. So the last level is where Simba returns to Pride Rock and finds the Pride Lands on fire. Everything has a dark red hue to it and really gives off that final level sort of vibe. Right away, Scar himself arrives on scene and you have to do battle with him. The fight isn't super hard really. If you stay aggressive and smack Scar around and pounce on him pretty frequently, eventually you'll drive him off. But the battle isn't over. From here, you'll have to climb to the top of the mountain where Scar awaits you. In this level, you're going to be putting everything you learn throughout the game to the test. You'll have areas where you'll need to combat enemies, you'll have some platforming sections, you'll need to swing from rock to rock without falling, there's even areas where lightning will strike the ground and set it on fire. It's really cool and just adds to the menacing nature of this entire level. Finally, you make it to the top, and it's final battle time. Scar starts towards you and just like that, it's on. Now, what I did was pretty much repeat the same tactics from the first time we fought. I decided to be aggressive and just wail on Scar. Every now and then, Scar would slap me across the face, but I would return the gesture in kind. Between the mixture of claw swipes, pounces, and roars, I had him on the ropes. Or at least I thought I did. As the battle went on, it seemed like Scar was just absorbing all my punishment like it was nothing. There was even a point where I had him cornered at the edge of the cliff, and I was just spamming my attack button. I even timed it. I was slapping him across the jaw with my big lion paw for a solid three minutes, and nothing happened. Like, what the hell? What was I missing? It took me several battles to figure this out. I actually had to throw Scar off the side of the mountain towards the fires below, just like in the movie. Yes, throw. You may remember me mentioning this earlier in the episode, but apparently, Adult Simba has the ability to throw his enemies. I found out completely by accident in this fight. I don't even remember what button it was, but you have to get Scar near the edge and throw him over it. And when Simba performs a throw, he doesn't throw his enemy forwards. He throws his enemy behind him, so we have to keep that in mind. I don't really know why, but the whole concept of this fight just pissed me off. It mentions throwing in the instruction manual, but I would have liked some indicator that this is what I needed to do in order to win the fight. I mean, I get it, that's how the movie ended, but what if I hadn't seen the movie? I don't know, I think my patience was just fried with this game at this point, and I was just hoping to finish it as quickly as possible. Looking back though, it was a pretty cool way to win the game. Once Scar is defeated, you could probably guess how the game ends. 
Simba is the new king of the Pride Lands, everyone is super happy, and the credits roll. How did I feel when it was all over? Honestly, I had some mixed feelings. And it wasn't until I sat down and stewed on my experience that I was able to put it all in perspective. After everything that I had been through, the cheap deaths, purposefully inflated difficulty curve, the many, many attempts to beat specific parts of this game, I think I actually like this game. Like I mentioned in the beginning, the presentation and the music really set the scene extremely well. I really do feel like I'm in this movie. So much so that I actually found myself wanting to go back and watch it. The attention to detail and the obvious care that went into crafting this world is very obvious to see. Many times I found myself humming along with the music, and even while I write the show notes and script for this podcast, like right now, I'm humming The Circle of Life. And I love that a video game can do that. When actually playing the game, it can be fun when things are going right. Controls are fluid and tight, and when the platforming actually works, it works pretty well. There really is something special here, and I know a bunch of you listening who have played this game before probably have a lot of fond memories with it. But at the end of the day, I'm a 38-year-old adult who doesn't have nearly as much time as I used to. I just don't have time for the bullshit nowadays, and that's a real bummer. If I could spend hours upon hours just playing this game, learning all of its nuances, and being okay with some cheap platforming deaths, sure, I bet I would have loved it. But I just can't get behind this game, if for no other reason than that. It's just not a game that scratched me in the right way. So to wrap it all up, do I recommend The Lion King? That's really going to depend on you. This game is challenging and unforgiving. It will test your patience and make you consider if you've made the right life choices up to this point. But if you stick with it and really put the time in, I really do think there's a competent game underneath all the frustration. The developers really did put a lot of love into this game, and it shows. Even if they purposefully made it harder. But if you can put all of that past you and work your way through it, you'll be rewarded with a pretty worthwhile experience. You can say that you conquered a game that some people wouldn't even give the time of day. And when you're victorious, I'll bet you'll feel like Simba looking down on the Pride Lands. And take it from me, it feels pretty good to be king. And with that, our journey into the Pride Lands has come to a close. This has been episode 23 of the Retro Wildlands, The Lion King for the Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, and all the other platforms you can find this game on. Thank you very much for tuning into the show this week and hanging out with us. I really enjoyed having you here. The Lion King is certainly a video game that's in a category all its own, and I'm happy to have finally played it. I went into this game expecting the worst, given how hard I heard this game was, and while all the talk about the difficulty was absolutely true, I wasn't expecting to walk away from the experience feeling like I do. Underneath it all, I think The Lion King is a decent game. 
That said, I will probably never play this game again. But now that I have, I am genuinely glad that I did. A huge thank you again to my pal Marissa for bringing this game up however many months ago it was on our Facebook page. I love that you played this game when you were little and have all those memories that came with it. Your game, though, is kind of like a rose. It's very pretty to look at and even smells alright, but holding it just hurts so much. It has too many thorns, so I'll most likely just admire this game from a distance from now on. If you like the show, please consider following us on your preferred podcasting platform. If you've made it through the show and gotten to this point, I have to assume that you somewhat like the show. So if that's the case, I'd appreciate it if you left us a good review on your podcast service of choice if you can. Good reviews help circulate the podcast and should help us grow. At least that's what all the good podcasters say, so I'm just taking their word for it. And if you really like the show and think we might have something here, please spread the word about the podcast with your friends and family. Better yet, you can bring up the Retro Wildlands at your New Year's Eve celebration. 2023 is going to be a year of new beginnings and a year to try something new, so encourage your friends and family to add a somewhat mediocre gaming podcast to their rotation of things to do every week. They might get a laugh, they might learn something, but they'll definitely walk away thinking to themselves, that guy's smooth Italian voice ain't half bad. And just another quick reminder, you can find us over on social media if you want to check us out and interact with the show. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching at Retro Wildlands. It's the best way to get a hold of me directly, so if you wanted to reach out, I'm usually pretty good at responding to messages. And if you follow us, we'll follow you back. So what's coming up next week? After playing The Lion King, I've been eyeballing some games that I've just been putting off for one reason or another. Maybe I've heard that they're too hard, or maybe they're just games that I don't want to get sucked into. But this past week, I found myself going as far back as the original Nintendo and poking around that library a little bit. Batman is a game that I think most retro gamers know and have an appreciation for, and I've been itching to go back and play Super C now that I think about it. Castlevania 3 has been pretty fun so far too, so that said, next week is likely going to be something from that system, at least that's the way it sounds like. So follow us over on social media if you don't want to wait until next Thursday to see what I'll be covering. Or don't follow us, I'm not your father, and you can make your own life decisions. Either way, there will always be a place for you here by the campfire, my friend. The expedition will ride off into the wildlands next week, and I would love it if you came back and joined us. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. Thank you.